All right, please take your Bibles, and uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9 today. Now, I, I, I can already tell you, I'm not going to get through the whole message. So, someone should have said amen already. Okay? So, yeah, all right. So, what we're going to do is uh, begin looking at Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Um, so, in a way, I'm praising the Lord that I don't have to try to preach this all in one message. You know, this last week, um, we were getting ready to, to host some people from the church, and I went out on the back patio, and I had my blower, and uh, I was blowing all of the geranium leaves off the patio, and um, my little dog, Chewy, he's a little Tibetan terrier, he's 15 pounds soaking wet, but right now his hair is, is just long enough that if he gets a little bit of wind, it, it looks really cool, you know, it's just, you know, everything begins to blow. Well, that crazy dog, he stood right in front of the blower, you know, it's just like beauty salon or something. And um, so then his little jowls were flapping, all right? So if I try to give you this whole message, that's what you would look like, right? No, you might be a little worn out. You might fall asleep on me. So we'll not try to do that. But it'd be like trying to give you a drink from the fire hose. And so we're not going to try to get all of that. But let's at least read the text. And then uh, we'll go as long as we can um, and get where we, where we end up. All right, let's begin it in verse 20, uh, even though we're going to concentrate on verses 24 through 27. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the, name, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. All right, so if you'll notice our big idea here today that we would like for you to, to take home is understand and consider the vision uh, that Gabriel is about to give to Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 is one of these foundational passages in the Bible that explain God's plan for the future. So you really need to understand that because so much of your New Testament um, that talks about future events is built on this passage from Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Now, let's pick it up and read verse 24 through 27. Now, 70 weeks or 77s are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks and the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. Verse 26. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, 
in the midst, that means the middle of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. Now, I want you to look at the end of verse 27. I'm going to read it in a modern translation, so it might help you just a little bit. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All right, so understand and consider the vision. Uh, this is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament that lays out God's plan for the future. Now, this is uh, particularly a Jewish issue. So if you're not Jewish here today, you're going to think, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, hold on. We'll, we'll explain that. Um, but notice how Jewish this is. All right. Look at verse 20. Confessing my sin and the sin of my people, whom? Israel. All right. Um, the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. That would be Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the temple mountain. Okay. Um, now, look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Who was Daniel's people? The Jews. All right. Now, did you know that's a... I'm just going to digress for just a second. But do you know that's the term that they use in the South for your relatives? Is my people? All right. That's how they say that. Yeah, that's my people. Well... Daniel's confessing the sin of his people. Now, what you have in uh, verse 24 and 25 are six um, millennial blessings. So God starts out with Daniel. I'd like you to understand that I want to accomplish six things. I would like to bless Israel in these six ways, and we'll, we'll talk about those. And then after he talks about the six blessings... He says, now, Daniel, this is how Israel will recognize that this is beginning to happen. In other words, this is when you'll know that it's going to start, right? That these six things are, are going to happen. And then there's some amazing timing that takes in here. Uh, we'll explain this. And then we see the end of it. Uh, we see a mysterious figure, the desolator, uh, on the wings of abomination. Now, this particular part of the passage, verse 27, we know is still yet a future event. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, he warned the Jewish people, and when you see the abomination of desolations that Daniel the prophet spoke about, take heed. If you're on the rooftop, don't go back down into your house to get anything. Um, if you're out in the field, don't go back to the house. Just start running immediately because trouble is going to happen when you see that happen. And so what we know from other scriptures is that this desolator is going to set up an idol in the Jewish temple. Why don't you tell me why that would grab a Jewish person's attention? What do you think? What would be the reason? Desecrates the temple, but why? What is an idol in the temple? What is it? What, what's the significance of that? Why would Jews know that that's a horrible thing? 
Okay, yeah, shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image. So when a Jew sees an idol being set up in the temple, run. You'll know that that's what's going on. And so this would be a very <laughs> unmistakable event taking place. And so we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit more about that. But that's the significance. That's the, the, the glaring warning that Jesus has given. When you see this abomination of desolations taking place, when you see the temple being desecrated, by an idol getting set up and, and the desolator saying, worship me, then you know that you need to run because that's just breaking the basic foundational uh, commandments of, of your faith. Thou shalt have no other gods. You shall not make any graven image or any likeness. Run at that particular point. All right, so let's look here. Uh, like Daniel, need to understand and consider the intention of the vision. So the intention here is to bless the people. Now, first of all, just notice personally what this does for Daniel. Daniel was pouring his heart out in verses 20 through 23. He's admitting his sins. We talked about that last week. He's identifying with his people. He's confessing sins um, and presenting his supplication before the Lord. And as he is praying, verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, uh, he gets an answer. Now, is that speedy answer to prayer or what? All right. But notice what Gabriel says to him. Um, that, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Uh, you are a beloved person. God loves you. Okay. He touched Daniel about the time of the evening oblation. And... Um, he said, you are beloved, uh, in verse 23, for thou art greatly beloved. Uh, here's just a couple of applications. First John chapter 3, verse 1, tells us as believers, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. Do you know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you're greatly beloved? God loves you so much that he wants to do the next thing, and that's to hear your prayers and answer them, as Daniel was answering. Now, Daniel was confessing sin, so that there's no obstacle that would prohibit him from receiving an answer to prayer. Now, we, we taught you last week how to pray, but sin would cause your uh, prayers not to be heard. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. And so God assures Daniel that he is very beloved. You're beloved. Uh, you're a beloved Christian. God loves you because he loves you through his son, Jesus, who is the beloved son. And your life is hidden with him. So today, walk away knowing that God loves you as a Christian. Now, to answer Daniel's prayer. So as soon as Daniel had begun to pray, an answer was given by the Lord. Gabriel came to deliver that answer. Now, do you know how the Lord taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6? It's called the Lord's Prayer. Now, we, we know it starts out with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But the Lord prefaced his teaching on prayer with this comment in verse 8. Don't be like them, the pagans, 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Oh, isn't that an encouraging thing to know that God knows what your needs are? And He encourages you to ask. And so you can get those answers to prayer even before you pray. And that's why in the New Testament we're exhorted to pray with thanksgiving to know that God's going to answer our prayers. So thank him for answered prayer. He knows what you need before you even ask him. So like Daniel, we can have that, that beautiful promise of answered prayer and even instantaneously. Now, another thing, Gabriel says, I'm coming to give you knowledge, to give you understanding. Um, do you remember some of the previous visions or prophecies that Daniel has received? Were they exactly clear? Okay. You got all these, uh, the statue of gold and silver and a bronze and iron and clay. Then you've got these wild beasts and uh, Daniel is sick to his stomach. And even at the end of chapter eight, it's like, it's not clear to me. Well, God comes to him with very clear instruction this time. And we'll lay it out. Now, let me just do this uh, by way of application. All right. Um, Daniel was studying the scripture. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 9. You remember which book of the Bible he was reading? I'll tell you, it was the 25th chapter. It was the book of Jeremiah. And he understood by reading Jeremiah that God's prophetic plan was for the punishment of Israel's sin was about to come to an end. And so Daniel is, is begging God, then restore, if it's coming to an end, then restore your city, restore your people. God, hear me, listen to me for your own glory. Do something, God. And as Daniel was pleading, then God immediately sends him an answer. But Daniel was studying scripture. You know, it was an interesting comment this week, and it helped me understand as a pastor how I need to help you. Um, I get the benefit of having gone through Bible college training and knowing how to study the Bible. And then you all bless me every week by giving me an opportunity to sit down and, and to study the scriptures. But as I was doing Bible study this week, I was in first Peter and I was asking a younger Christian. I said, now, do you know how to, to handle this one on your own? Do you, can you see how to come up with that? They're like, oh, no. I said, well, then how do you know? what you're hearing is right. Well, because I trust you, pastor. Well, I'm glad that they trust me, but you can't always trust everybody that you hear. So let me just put it this way, that you as a Christian, you need to obey the command in 2 Timothy 2.15. And if you're in Awana, pardon me, because you're going to hear the verse all year long, but study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed doing what? rightly dividing the word of truth. That means to cut the scripture into its pieces, to know how the pieces of scripture fit together. Do you want me to go on a little rant for a second? All right, maybe not spirit inspired here, but something that's on my heart. Did you, did you see in the news this week that some billboards went up in seven southeastern United States, like Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and I forget what the other ones, uh, Texas, um, with Bible verses on them 
um, Love Thy Neighbor as Thyself, inviting people to come to California from the southeastern United States to have an abortion. Okay? I thought that loving your neighbor would start with not killing them. Okay? But our governor's re-election campaign paid for those billboards. Okay? Now, do you think that maybe there's just a little bit of not using Scripture correctly there? Now, how would you answer that? Because it certainly does seem very loving to provide medical care. I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. I mean, that medical care, that's a loving thing to give, but yet not using Scripture correctly. So you as a Christian, you need to know how to rightly cut the Word of God. You need to know how it works together, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so there's a couple of things that go along with that. And these are what you might receive if you go to Bible college. It's called hermeneutics, uh, which is the study of how to study the scriptures. But then even some of your pre-understandings come before that, which is uh, proglamena, uh, which is a word to say before you even get started in your studies. A word before. And so you need to know these kind of things. So I encourage you, this is what uh, several years ago, um, christianbook.com had uh, Louis Speary Schaefer's Systematic Theology on sale, and it's a seven-volume systematic theology set. So I would encourage you, um, if you're serious about wanting to study the scripture for yourself and not have to depend upon a pastor to spoon-feed you, um, you could get that. Now, that's a pretty advanced one. That's a systematic theology. Uh, Kay Arthur, a lady out of Tennessee, she's written a book on how to study the Bible. Uh, another one is called How to Study Your Bible by James Brega. Um, Roy Zuck has written a book called Basic Bible Interpretation. So any of these, you could go and you could Google them and, and purchase them and then learn how to study the Bible on your own. Uh, years ago, we took our uh, young adults uh, Sunday school class through uh, How to Study Your Bible by K. Arthur and where we went through Timothy and, and then we actually let them do the work of, of pulling out of what was in the scripture and then applying it to their life, understanding all those different processes. So Daniel is studying scripture and then God blesses him by giving him insight do you know God still does that? Now, he's not going to come to you today with fresh revelation. Right? There's not, the, the Bible was completed, so you're not going to get a new word. All right? So we believe that revelation is closed, whereas some other Christians just a couple of blocks over might say that revelation continues and you can receive a fresh prophetic utterance from God. I, from the Bible, no, um, I digress. But nonetheless... Do you know how to study the Word of God for yourself? So Daniel was studying it, and um, then God gave him insight. And this is where I, I was going. When you study the Bible, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, according to the Gospel of John, is that he will guide you into all truth, whatsoever things that Jesus has commanded us. And then that guiding into all truth, that's called the ministry of illumination. In other words, the light bulb turns on. Bing! So read your Bible, asking the Holy Spirit to give you discernment, to ask good questions, to interact with the text. 
Now the Holy Spirit will do that. That's his ministry. He will illumine you. So all of these things, we're just here in the introduction is the intention of the prophecy. Now it's to provide six blessings. Now, when are these blessings? All right, so let me just uh, do this. We've got just a few more minutes, and we might make it through uh, these six, and then we'll, we'll have to stop here at this verse. But as I was saying before, um, your hermeneutic. Now, how we interpret the Bible, it, we call it the literal. So when you read your Bible, words mean something. Okay? So... Take them at face value. And if you don't want to know what a word means, look it up in a dictionary. So literal. All right. Then the second thing that we use to come to our process of conclusion is what we call grammatical, where you look at the grammar, the syntax. Um, you, you look at words, and then you look at phrases. All right. So here's a simple way to do that. Take a Bible verse, any Bible verse. Write the words down on a piece of paper. Get uh, an English dictionary that's close to, if you're using the King James, close to 1769. Uh, I think there's an 1812 dictionary. I'm not going to encourage you to buy that. I think it's $70. And well, I think a strong concordance is better, uh, but you can use a lexicon. But anyway, just then use uh, a strong concordance, use an English dictionary, use a lexicon, and Take each word separately and then write the different meanings down for that range of meaning for those words. And then you do that with every word. And then you have to discern what context works best. And then you put it all back together. So you take the verse apart, define it, dissect it, and then put it back together. And that's very simple Bible study. And that's what we encouraged those that were in our addiction recovery program to do. We actually had worksheets for them uh, to do that, but it was called define and dissect. And um, then put, you put it back together. So here, let's look here at these uh, six millennial blessings. Now I say that these are millennial, but why not now? So if you come from a different school of theology, you're going to say, well, these are active right now. They're not yet for the future. Well, here's why I say they're for the future. Because this whole prophecy concerns Daniel's people, Daniel's city, Daniel's God. So these are definitely Jewish blessings. Now, when Jesus came, did the people say, yes, our Messiah's here. We're going to follow you. They rejected him. So in so doing, they rejected the blessings of Daniel. And we'll have to explain some more of that as we go through. But let's look at these six blessings to finish transgression. You know, Israel's greatest transgression means to trespass, to go beyond was that they rejected their Messiah. You're going to say, well, how should they have known that he was their Messiah? From Daniel 9, 24 through 27. From the command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. 
When that command is given, start counting and look for your Messiah at this time frame. That's why when you come to the Gospels, Simeon, who is a just and a devout man, is looking for the consolation of Israel. He's looking for the Messiah at the time that Jesus is born. Why was he looking at that point in his life? Because the clock was running, and the Jewish people should know that their Messiah would show up. Now, they rejected him, and thus their transgression continues. The book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 9, says that when Jesus Christ comes back, the Jewish people will see him coming, and they will weep at that moment as a nation because they realized you were here once before and we rejected you and we missed out on so many blessings and they'll be broken hearted but their sin will be over the next time that Jesus appears they will receive him as their Messiah and that will end their transgression as a nation in rejecting their Messiah to make an end of sins. Um, let's just take our Bibles and go over to Romans chapter 11 and verse 27. Romans eleven twenty-seven. So remember the outline that I've given you on the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 3. Everybody's a sinner. Uh, chapters 4 and 5, how sinners can get saved. Chapters 6, 7, and 8, how sinners grow. Chapters 9 through 16, on how sinners can then serve God once they're saved. Well, there's a parenthetical break in chapters 9, 10, and 11. What happened to Israel? They were God's people, but then they disobeyed, they were rejected, and they were set aside. So in chapter 11, Paul brings up a good question. Verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. In other words, is God done with Israel? Is it all over? All right. So here's what I want you to know. We're a church that would not teach you what's called replacement theology. Replacement theology says this, the church has replaced Israel. And any of the Old Testament promises or prophecies that were given to Israel, the church now owns them. And so there's no program for Israel anymore. Well, we're not gonna teach that, but some would. Now, in uh, Romans 11, uh, verse 27, um, here we see that their sins will even cease. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. God's gonna do a work in their hearts so that they'll be an obedient people. In Sunday school this morning, we studied the book of Judges and how Israel went through seven cycles of sin and rejecting their Lord. And they embraced the nations around them. They, they traded their children in marriage. They worshiped their gods and they got involved in the in the the people around them at that time, their value systems, their, their way of doing things, because they wanted their family, their finances, and their farms to be blessed. They worshiped Baal. And today, we want our families to prosper, don't we? 
We want our finances to prosper, don't we? Don't we want our work, what we do? Maybe it's not farming, but whatever we do, we want it to prosper. And in that comes a heavy temptation to work with the people around you, even though they might entice you to sin and to compromise and to adopt their values. So we face the same struggles that Israel faced. So God will put an end to their sins. Um, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Iniquity is moral failure. And uh, so if I could, I'll just take this one and we'll stop here on the third blessing. But uh, let's go over to Romans chapter 5. To make reconciliation. So here in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, I know we do a lot of online banking today, but if you still use your checkbook and you have a checking account, at the end of every month, you'll get a statement from the bank and you have to go through a process of a reality check that your numbers and the bank numbers agree. Very seldom are the bank's numbers wrong. They can be, that's why you reconcile things, right? But it's to bring you into a reality check. This is what I've got. I've got too much month at the end of my money, <laughs> right? And um, so you have to reconcile, means to be brought to a set standard. Well, when God reconciles us, the blessing is through Christ that we're brought to God's holy standard, that he gives us absolute righteousness through Christ, and so we're reconciled. Now, this is one of the, the six things that, as far as a millennial blessing, Israel today is not reconciled with God because they reject Jesus as Messiah. We, as Gentiles, we have received that blessing, so it has, in a sense, been inaugurated, just not fulfilled. So now, but not yet. So this is some of the blessings. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want you to understand this. So let's go back uh, very quickly to Daniel 9. And I want you to notice at the beginning uh, of this prophecy here, verse 24, seven weeks 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And let's just talk about this word determined for just a minute, and then we'll be done. In the Hebrew, it means to cut out. God in his wisdom has been able to take human history before he even created us to after the creation is all wrapped up into a glory. He's able to all take that in at once. But what it means that 70 weeks are determined is that God took the fabric of human time and he cut out a plan for his people Israel to bless them. And as a result, if you read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, we as Gentiles, that means anybody who's not a Jew, we have been grafted into Israel to receive their blessings. 
And so God has cut out of human history his divine sovereign plan. And this is why we're in the series, The Sovereignty of God is Our Security. So God has determined, he's cut out a fabric of time, and he's working his plan. And then he's going to pick up his plan with Israel again. And we'll explain more about that in the future. But my question for you here today is this. By way of application, can you take the fabric of time in your life? And will you cut out time to work God's plan? Now, we're commanded to do so in Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Um, we're supposed to exhort one another. That's a command. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? Well, the final day of Hebrews, um, of Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> that day is coming. So how can you exhort one another? How can you encourage one another if you're not here? Now you're here this morning. All right, good. Praise the Lord. But are you consistently and faithfully here? You say, well, is that in the Bible too? Well, let me just say, if you're going to follow the example of Jesus, the Gospels make mention of his religious habits, that as it was his custom to be in synagogue on the Sabbath day. So cut out that fabric of time in your weekly life to work God's plan, because he's cut out fabric of human time to work his plan. And so you need to be laboring together with God. Now, you can't begin to work that plan if you don't have a personal relationship with him, if you've not been reconciled. So here's the good news today. God wants to give you his righteousness as a gift. He wants to bring you to that set standard of righteousness. And God the Father made Christ to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You get a perfect standing. In other words, Jesus takes your record and you can take his record. That's the exchange that he offers. But that has to come through repentance and faith. Repentance towards God and faith toward Jesus. You have to forsake all other gods, forsake all other ways of trying to earn eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So receive Christ today by faith. It's a gift that he will give to you if you will acknowledge that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. If you will believe that his sacrifice is sufficient to pay for all your sin. He became your substitute and then call upon his name in faith to do so. And then he will give you his absolute righteousness. And so you will be reconciled and brought to that standard. If that's your desire, we're going to close our service this time with a word of prayer and invite anyone that would like to receive Christ as Savior to receive the reconciliation and to have that relationship be what it should be so that you can come to that same set standard. And then for us as believers, uh, God is working his plan. Are we working his plan?